0: We're on this series right now that we're calling "Greater Than." It comes from First uh, John chapter uh, four, where it says, "Greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world." Uh, every week, I kind of remind us of the series that we're on because um, one is, is I know that sometimes weeks are missed and things like that. And um, you know, one of the neat things that we're able to do with the technology that we have today is, is, we're able to live stream for those that are on the live stream. Boy, we're always glad that they can be with us. But then um, we're able to put um, the sermons on the website for those that miss them. But um, we try to, um, we try to, you know, preach through, say, a book of the Bible. Um, uh, more often than not, or a theme. And uh, and then we have that there um, so that if you really wanna track with it, you can go back and catch ones that you miss. Um, but this is a really neat series. Um, uh, John is the writer of First John. John, the disciple, not John walking to the back of the sanctuary, but John, the disciple John. We like John too back there, but uh, the disciple John is the writer of the letter um, that we call 1 John. And, um, and um, he's writing to encourage his readers. And we're picking up on that encouragement because he didn't just write to those first readers, he also wrote um, to us. But he, he really wants his, um, his readers to understand God's work among us. You know, the truth is, is that our culture has a pretty um, confused understanding of God. Years ago, a lady by the name of Deidre Sullivan wrote a book called What Do We Mean When We Say God? And uh, it's being a little generous when... um When we say that she wrote a book, it's actually a bunch of uh, collections, a collection of thoughts and sayings about how people define God. Um, Sullivan interviewed 700 people, got 5,000 responses. I don't know how she got that many responses from 500 people, but this is what um, it says is is 500 people or 700 people, 5,000 responses, and wrote down 200 views um, that she had encapsulated about God. Um, One person Joanne Stevenson, a saleswoman from Illinois, said that God is a kind word, a helping hand, an act of kindness. One attorney said, "Um, God, when he comes up in my mind, is my grandmother with a frying pan. (laughs) Okay, whatever. Um, uh, Science writer Isaac Asimov said, God is a convenient invention of the human mind. Gabriel Green, president of the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America, (laughs) I love it, said, um, God, God is the electromagnetic field around us, surrounded by the if, out of which anything is composed. Huh. Another person said, God is that part of us that cares for a child in another country who is starving. Tom Landry, the great philosopher, theologian. Actually, he was just a football coach for the Dallas Cowboys when I was a little kid. Tom Landry um, had amazing insight. He said, when you focus on Jesus, you get a much clearer picture of what God is really like and who he is. Sometimes it takes a down-to-earth football coach. To speak truth. The disciple John would 100% agree. When you focus on Jesus, you get a much clearer picture of what God is really like and who he is. John, in the gospel that bears his name, writes In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then if you were to go down to verse 10 of that first chapter of John, John writes, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John says that God revealed himself in a conclusive way in Jesus Christ. It's why John begins the letter that that he writes that we're in. It's why he begins the beginning of the letter saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at uh, and our hands have touched, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And so he, he he's saying is, is that Jesus, we we heard him, we saw him with our own eyes, we looked at him, our hands touched him, and we proclaim this Jesus, this word of life to you. He wants his readers to understand that because of the work of Jesus, they're children of God. And he wants them to continue in him. And so he writes in 1 John 2, and we're at the end of um, chapter 2, verse 28. He writes to his readers and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And so John, John uh, says is, is that, hey, continue in him so that when he appears, you may be confident and unashamed about his coming. And there's this whole whole idea here, and, and you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because um, we, we have this picture as is, is we say that Jesus will come again, and that's a little weird to non-Christians that we have this, um, this belief that Jesus will come again, but the idea is, is that Jesus will come again and... And that um, when we live as unto him, that, that we can stand confidently before him. But the goal is is to continue. And if, if you look in, in John the Gospel, you'll find this word, John loves this word, continue. It also means remain or abide. And it's just Jesus' words, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And, and we're, we're told to remain in him so that we can be confident and unashamed before his coming. That's one of the unique views of Christians is, is that Jesus will come back again. To outsiders, this is a little weird. It's a little wacky. It's a little kooky. But it's, um, it's one of the fundamental beliefs that we have is Jesus will come back again. interestingly, is that we all want Jesus to come back when things aren't going very well. When um, there are lots of bad things on the horizon, every election season, I start to hear Christians say is, is well, Jesus is going to come back soon, um, especially if our party's not winning. <laughs> so, um, but, but when things aren't going well, we start talking about Jesus coming back again. Very few people want Jesus to come back the night before they get married, if you know what I mean. But when things are going bad, when there appears to be bad things on the horizons, Christians start talking about the return of Jesus. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but we might be missing something really important that John wants us to understand. We should live every day as though at the end of the day, we're going to stand before Jesus. Every day, as though at the end of the day, we're going to stand before Jesus. And, and it's helpful to think that way, because what if we had this conception, is, is that with whatever we're doing at any given time is is that if Jesus were to come back at that time, that, that he would come back and he would be able to say, "Because of what we're doing at that time, well done, good and faithful servant." Instead of it, as if, if, if we're living just haphazardly without being able to, th- without thinking about it or without being conscious that what we do matters and so we're in the midst of gossiping or slander or, or you know, being angry or, or watching just unwholesome things or whatever it is and Jesus comes back and, and it's like, oh, wow, couldn't you have come back on Sunday morning when I was in church? is to live every day as though and every moment as though we could be standing before Jesus in that moment. Now, John isn't trying to inspire fear in his readers. He's not threatening them. And even when his language is strong, even when he's challenging them, he's not attacking them in any way at all. He's encouraging them to strengthen their resolve He's encouraging them towards faithfulness and helping them to live confidently. And so he says, Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed. Continue in him. John tells his readers that the fact that Jesus will come again is motivation to remain in him as well as to pursue right living. In fact, right living points to being born of him. So the idea is, is that when we, when we put our faith in Jesus, that something happens on a spiritual level. Now it happens on a, on a physical, on a real level also, but it happens on a spiritual level where we're born again. Because the truth is, is that all of us are born into this world in, in the natural way is that we, ha- we have parents and there's a birth date and we're born into this world, but we're also just kind of born into the brokenness of the world. I mean, have you noticed that there's a lot of brokenness in the world? I mean, I see it once in a while. I mean, it's amazing just how much honesty and truth are, is out there. Is this, you know, I got this email um, this morning. I don't know why, but I checked my email before the services today and, and, uh, and press delete. I'm getting incredible amounts of email. I think it's a COVID thing. People have too much time trapped inside or something like that. Um, but I decided to go to my junk mail because, you know, every once in a while, there's something good in the junk mail. Today, I found something just absolutely incredible. Wayne Lee sent me an email. Now, I don't know Wayne, but for some reason, he thinks I'm pretty special because um, he said, is, is um, this email is private for us. Actually, he says, is this email private for us to discuss a $7 million business that will be mutually beneficial to both of us? This is not stolen money, and there are no dangers involved. Now, I don't know why I'm so special and why you're not, but, but um, Wayne Lee, who actually has the email address, Kim K. Cox at eplus.net. I don't know why Wayne's using Kim's email address, but, um, but, you know, just what a good world we live in, right? Where there's so much truth and honesty and goodness, and yeah, right? This is the world that we're born into. And we're invited into a relationship with God. And it's so different than this that it's described as being born again. Born again. And we're invited into this relationship, but once we come into this relationship, we're told to remain in him. And to pursue right living. And in fact, right living points to being born in it, of him. And there's this whole idea of remain. You know, sometimes as Christians, we, we think as, as well, we should always ask the question is, is, am I sinning? Am I sinning? What if I were to suggest to you that that's the wrong question? I wish I'd come up with this because it's brilliant. Kyle actually came up with it. Is am I sinning is the wrong question. The right question is, am I abiding? Am I abiding? Am I, am I remaining in him? Because if we're asking the question, am I sinning? Then we're trying to judge as, hey, how close to the line can we get? But if we're saying, am I abiding? Am I remaining? Then, then there's that whole sense of, is, I just want to be close to Jesus. And it's really hard to sin when you're close to Jesus, Right? Is, am I abiding? Am I remaining in him and in his goodness and in his truth? I think what a profound question. Am I abiding? John goes on to say in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. dear friends, Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him him as he is. All those who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So that whole born of him inspires what John said, what we just read, is born of him. The NIV actually um, misses the intensity of what John is writing because he says, behold, exclamation mark. There's an exclamation mark at the beginning of what he says, behold, exclamation mark. And then how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. There is a sense in which he is saying, is it the kind of love that God is showing us is so foreign to us, so unearthly? that the result is that we should be called children of God. It's hardly imaginable, and yet it's not our imagination. John wants us to really get it, and so he says, and that is what we are, children of God, and that is what we are. John wants his readers to understand that because of the work of Jesus that we're the children of God, and so he says behold exclamation mark what love the father has for us that we should be called children of god and when he appears when jesus appears we shall be like him what does he mean what does he mean John says that those that have this hope purifies, purify themselves as he is pure. And so Jesus is so pure, he's so good, he's so holy that just having this hope is, is, is encouragement. And so John's purpose here is to encourage his readers and to point them to God's promise in Christ Jesus. He says, when we have this hope, it will renew and inspire our character for living. Is that when we have this hope in Jesus and we see that that Jesus is is Savior, that, that there's this hope. It's not this wishful thinking kind of hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's out of the reality of who Jesus is that we are inspired to live a pure life. It renews and inspires our character for living. When our mind is focused on meeting Jesus, it empowers right living. Now, is there tension? Absolutely. Is there tension between righteous living on the one hand and sin on the other hand? Absolutely. For as long as we live in this world, there's going to be that tension that we're going to find in our lives. John, in verses four through six, says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. The one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Wow. There's no, there's no black and white with John. Is how, how do we read that? No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Does that mean if we have sin in our life that, that there's n- no chance that we have this relationship with Jesus, that we've seen him or known him? And, and so I want to point us to the real theme of these verses. The theme of these verses is lawlessness. Whoever sins practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. Is John saying that we have to be perfect or that perfection is required? And I would say not at all. It wouldn't be consistent with what he wrote earlier in 1 John 2.1. He wrote, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I think what John wants his readers to understand, and that's really us too, is that Christ came to take away our sins. And John's describing this inner reality, that apart from new birth in Christ, the character of our lives is lawlessness. So, apart from new birth in Christ, the character of our lives is lawlessness. We are, in essence, a law unto ourselves. In the Old Testament, when it spoke about the state of God's people, and this is in the book of Judges, it says that there came a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's lawlessness. Everyone's a law unto themselves. Apart from Christ, we're a law unto ourselves. And so what is sin? Sin in its most simple simple definition is breaching God's rule. Breaching God's word. It's lawlessness. We might even call it rebellion. Rebellion. In 1 John 3, 7 through 10, John writes, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Wow. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. Because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. John sounds so unrealistic here. Most of us like to have a lot of gray area between, say, a white lie and the greater sins like assault and murder. I mean, we, we kind of make a distinguishment between them and we say, hey, a white lie is a white lie because it doesn't really hurt anyone. It's not really that big of a deal. So, so there's a big difference between a white lie and, and the real sins. And we, and we make this distinguishment. But, but really, the truth is, is that when we think about it is, is that even a white lie says something about the brokenness of the world and what we are born into. And when we really get down uh, to thinking about it, is, is even that capacity to tell a white lie speaks of a greater capacity to sin on heinous levels. And that every one of us has the capacity to commit assault or murder. And so it speaks about about something that's a part of this brokenness, and John, even though he sounds unrealistic, John wants us to understand that that sin, all sin, speaks about this brokenness, and that it's of the devil. A number of years ago, I heard a story about a group of teens who knew that their neighbor had left home for a few weeks and the neighbor had a sweet swimming pool in the backyard. And so one night they decided to climb the fence and go swimming and the first guy that got over the fence, he ran to the diving board and he he bounced off that diving board and dove into the pool. And what they didn't know is that the water had been drained out of the pool and the young man broke his neck. A lot of us think that minor sins aren't that big of a deal. But what if we're all breaking our necks, spiritually speaking? The truth is, is that we all have the capacity for great sin. Ever since the fall of mankind, sin has been a part of our nature. And the reason why we need Jesus is because of sin in our lives. Apart from Jesus, we will explain it away. We'll hide it or we'll hide ourselves, really just doing what Adam and Eve did covering themselves up because of their shame, running and hiding. When God says, Where are you? Well, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, because we invented a new game called Hide and Seek. Where did you learn that game? When John says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, it's, it's helpful for us to kind of put that in some context. Is, is what, it's helpful to remember what John has already said. Because he's already celebrated with his readers that they are children of God. He's already said, as is, behold, that we should be called children of God. And so what he likely has in mind here is the adversaries of the church, and we talked about this last week, is he called them antichrists, is that they denied Jesus. They denied who Jesus was and is. They denied his humanity and they denied his divinity. They denied that he came in the flesh. And the problem is, is that when you begin to deny Jesus... When you begin to deny Jesus, you make room for sin. And you begin to deny the consequences of sin. And, and so what he likely has in mind here is the adversaries of the church who were, who were making light of sin. They were probably saying, is this, oh no, 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 that, you don't have to worry about that sin stuff. And they began to teach false things. And I, and I just think about that is, is because when you, when you deny who Jesus is and what he's done for us because if, if Jesus didn't come and live the perfect life and die on the cross for sin or if sin doesn't matter then he died without reason it just opens up all kinds of of doors and gateways to live reckless lives. John doesn't want us to make light of sin. He wants us to take sin seriously because its identity is of the devil. And this seems to be an identity issue for John. Because John's readers are children of God, because they know and love Jesus, because Jesus is pure and good and righteous, And because they're called to be like Jesus, they should have the characteristics of Jesus in their lives. And because those outside of Christ are not concerned about God's law, because they don't have the same standard, which is God's standard, because they define right living on their own terms, they are not children of God. And the only other alternative is that they're children of the devil. You know, John may have been thinking a little bit of what Paul was thinking is, is that some Christians or people that were taking some Christian ideas, but then living in very non-Christian ways, is, is the Apostle Paul um, warned um, Christians who were seeing the grace of God as an opportunity to sin. Um, people that were probably saying, is I'm sinning, but God is graceful, so it's no big deal as Paul said, is is what? Because of the grace of God, should we sin all the more? And then he says, absolutely not. Why? Because it's out of the character of Jesus. And maybe this is also what Jesus had in mind when he confronted the Pharisees who were arrogantly describing themselves as children of Abraham and therefore accepted by God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when John... Is talking to his readers and he's saying, You're children of God. Is as children of God live. Live in the character of that identity. It's interesting to me is, is that confidence and arrogance are not that far apart. Arrogance says, I get to live the way that I want to. I can define what is right. Confidence, the kind of confidence that John desires for his readers to have. Confidence says that because I have Jesus, I can live well. And I will live unto him. John doesn't seem satisfied with saying, be as much like Jesus as you can. Instead, he seems to be urging us to take on Christ's perfect character. Even though this side of heaven, it's the ideal that's beyond our reach. And yet we're called to take on the character of Christ. And we do that most holy and most fully when we're abiding in him. And we abide in him because we, we know that apart from him, we can't do what, even, even as Christians, what we want to do. We can't live the life that we want to live. We will always struggle in, and, and we're not abiding in him because it saves us. We're abiding in him because he saved us. And so we abide. Confidence. Let's talk about confidence. Where do we get that confidence? Three things. We get it from the fact that Jesus will come again. And because he will come again, it's motivation for godly living. Where else do we get that confidence? We get that confidence from new birth. New birth. That when we put our faith in Jesus, The Bible says is that the old is gone, the new has come. New birth is the way by which we enter into a relationship with God. And um, verse 229 of this passage, it says, um, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Even the inclination to do what is right comes from being born in him. The first byproduct of new birth, new spiritual birth, is the desire to do what is right, to obey God's word, and to live the good life. It is in our behavior that the world will see Jesus or hypocrisy. Our behavior shows us and others that something divine has happened in us and that we have been reborn. You know, I want to be careful because I I, I also want to say is, is that behavior is vital and it's important because people do see Our changed lives and ultimately Jesus through our behavior. Now, I also want to say is that because this side of heaven, there will be times when we fail. I actually believe, and I think that this is biblical, is that in our repentance, people also see Jesus. There's something remarkable that happens when believers repent. In front of the watching eyes of, yes, fellow believers, but also the world. When, that we, when we've had failures, when we've made mistakes, when we say, I made a terrible mistake. Now we know that when we say mistake, we actually mean sin. And it may even be appropriate is, is that I did something terribly wrong. And I want to ask for forgiveness. When that happens, when Christians repent, it becomes a powerful witness of what God has done and is doing in our lives. So, that second area of confidence is new birth. And then that new birth results in a different way of life. The third area of confidence is adoption. Behold, exclamation mark, that we should be called children of God. If a family were adopting a child, There'd be this whole period. I have a friend right now um, who's been working literally for like three years on adopting kids from Haiti. They fill out mountains of paperwork. They've spent unbelievable amounts of money. I'd assume that COVID is um, kind of just shut down everything. Um, but on the day, um, if, if it works out on the day when they adopt their daughters, literally the paperwork's done. They're just waiting for the gavel to fall. But on that particular day when you adopt a child, you go into a judge's chambers and the judge would have looked over all of that paperwork. Some of you have experienced this before um, or something similar, look over all of the paperwork. And after seeing all of the details and all of the attention and all of the thousands of dollars that have been spent, on making this happen, the judge would look at the family and say, this is your child. And to the child, this is your family. And the gavel would fall. And from that moment, it would be as though that child were biologically born into your family that on a legal level that it would be declared child these are your parents parents this is your child that's what happens when we put our faith in Christ is we're declared children of God legally Before God's eyes, we are his children born through a new birth into his family. And therefore, we can be confident. So I think that we don't need more effort to be good people. We need more abiding. It's not about working harder to not sin. It's about more abiding to live out who we are in Christ because of his good work. And so let's abide. Whatever that looks like this week, what does it look like to abide? What does it look like to say is, Jesus, I just want to be close to you this week. Jesus, I just want to live for you this week. I just want for you to be in me and, and for uh, me to be in you. And, and I just want to abide, to abide. I want that new birth. I want, I want um, out of that new birth for there to be this behavior where when people look, they don't see as much of me, but they see so much more of you. I just want to abide. Let's pray. Father and Lord God, you're so good and you're so gracious and we need you so much more than we can possibly imagine. And Lord, I want to leave some space here for people to be able to respond to you and however you would move. I'm just going to leave um, some space for you to be able to talk to God. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, then I just want to invite you is just this beautiful, beautiful invitation that you have to be a child of God. Uh, that when we put our faith in Jesus, you know scripture says that when we believe in him, uh, in his name, in his work, that we become children of God. And you know, there's something just about saying is, God, I want that. I want to be your child. And the Bible says that, that what that looks like is, is it looks like repentance. That it looks like just saying is, "Is God? I repent. I turn away from my sin, and I turn to Jesus." And so it looks like repentance. The Bible also says that it looks like belief. Just saying, "I I I believe." Uh, otherwise, I put my confident trust in Him, and that He died to pay for sin. and then it and then it looks like following Jesus being identified with him, uh, you know that's why baptism is so important. Um, if you have questions about that, you can talk to me but it it looks like following Jesus, it looks like living out the new the spiritual birth that happens when we repent as we repent the Bible says is that part of repentance is dying to self so that we can live to live to god and so there's that. Now, I don't know what to do with all of this, but we often describe the believer who has once again just really started to struggle with their faith or maybe even with, with um, living obediently, is, is that they backslide. Otherwise, they fall away and they start to live life on their own terms again. And there's something about even just saying, Is this God? Man, it's so easy to fall back into that. I know that I'm not saved by how much good stuff that I do, but I know that because I put my faith in Jesus that I'm called to abide and I haven't been abiding. And so I'm sorry. And if that's where you're at, if you've been struggling with abiding, and maybe that's one of the reasons why there's a lot of hurt and brokenness and sin in your life, then just coming back and saying, this "Is Jesus, I just want to abide in you. So I'm just going to give you just a few moments, wherever you're at, to just pray. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, then you can do it. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I repent of my sins. I trust you. And if you've slid in some, just say, I'm Jesus, I'm so sorry. I want to reflect Jesus. Or if there's something else that the Lord has on your heart, I want to give you just a little bit of space to do that. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, you're so good and you're so gracious. And Lord, I just want to assume that any prayers that we were praying will be carried on after this. Later today, as the day goes on and into the week. But you are so good. And so, Lord, with John, we exclaim, behold, exclamation mark, that we should be called children of God. It is unimaginable, but it's not our imagination because John and we say, and that is what we are. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we go into another week to just draw close to our Savior, Jesus. Help us to do that. Help us to abide. Lord, if we fail, then may we repent with confidence and abide again. And we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.